Uh, this morning we are going to be uh, beginning a journey called Experience Christmas. It's just for the next three weeks, counting this week, um, we're, we're going to be talking about some different perspectives that uh, people have on Christmas, and uh, more specifically, the people that were around at the first Christmas, uh, the people that were there at the birth of Jesus. Uh, we, we typically look at... Um, the, the experience of Mary, Joseph, and, and what their experience was like mainly at this time of year. And, and, we, and we center everything around the birth of Christ, as we should. But there were other people that were involved in the story that oftentimes we don't talk about. And we forget about, and they're side characters, but they have their own story to tell and their own experience that they had during this time of the year that we celebrate. And so we're going to be diving into a couple different perspectives and people that we just kind of, we, we talk about them at Christmas, but we don't really get into their side of the story. So that's what we're going to be taking a journey on. And, uh, and if you got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 2 through 8, and then we're going to skip down some just to save some time in reading, and then we'll read 13 through 16, but it's all in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Um, so if you have that, when you have it, please just stand to your feet so I know you're ready. Um, if you're able to stand to your feet today, it'll also be up on the screen. I'm using the Christian Standard Bible translation this morning, um, so it may read a little bit different than what you might have. Alrighty, this is what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where this Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them, to, asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Skip down to verse 13. It says this, And after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. And he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Heavenly Father, I pray today that as we work through this word today, as we work through your scriptures, that you would just guide us and direct us, that your spirit would dwell in our hearts and speak to us about these things we are talking about today. God, let us grow in our faith and leave here different than what we came in. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you. And in your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Uh, Like I said just a few moments ago, uh, I really want us to examine some different perspectives of the events that took place around the birth of Christ. And more specifically, the people that were involved in these different areas of this birth. Uh, You know, we always read, you know, the the angel speaking to Mary and Joseph about the birth of Jesus. And and we celebrate that. And we talk about how there was no room at the inn and their journey uh, to Bethlehem. And all of those things. And and we get get the nativities out. And we look at those things. And and we look at the cute side of it, the, the fun, heartwarming side of it. But there is more to the story that we often forget about and don't really ever consider. Uh, there, there's this really uh, a gory, horrifying side of these events that took place around the birth of Christ, as we just read. And there was a man named Herod, and that's the perspective we're going to start with. Uh, this, this man, Herod, um, heard about Jesus, knew, knew that he was coming, heard that he had arrived when the wise men showed up. And uh, he saw Jesus and this birth differently than how you and I see it. You see, the wise men thought Jesus was to be worshipped. The shepherds thought Jesus was to be worshipped. Uh, th- those that knew and that were there, most of them were there to worship and honor Jesus. Well, Herod saw it differently. When Herod saw the birth of Christ and, and was observing these events at this time, uh, he viewed Christ not to be worshipped, But he viewed Christ as someone to be feared, and he viewed him as a threat. He did not view him as the king of the Jews. He viewed him as the king who was going to dethrone him and take over his place and kick him out of power. When Herod saw these events taking place and he had his conversation with the wise men and, and all of these things, he was terrified. He was not humbled in reverence and awe and wonder, and he wasn't following after the star. When he told the wise men, come and let me know where he's at so that I can worship him, that was a lie. He wanted to hunt him down and kill him because he was afraid that he was going to lose his throne. This is the side of Christmas we don't really talk about because it's not warm and fuzzy and makes you want to drink hot chocolate and uh, eat cookies. So we stay away from this side of things. Or maybe we just never even considered it. But Herod saw Jesus as a threat. And he really saw him as a threat in three different areas. He was a threat to Herod's power, his way of life, and his purpose. And unfortunately today, I think we can all relate to Herod a little bit more than we would like to admit at times. Definitely can relate to Herod if we do not serve Christ. We see Jesus as a threat to our way of life when you are someone who is lost. You see, he was a threat to Herod's power. Herod could not handle the thought of someone else sitting on the throne. Herod was terrified that if somebody else were to sit on the throne, now he would have to answer to someone. Herod got so used to only ever having to answer to himself because he was the ultimate power at the time. At least in his mind he was. At this time, he thought, well, I'm in charge, I'm large and in charge, 
I answer to myself. Nobody tells me what to do. I tell them what to do. And now there's this possibility that he hears about this king, and there's this possibility that now, oh no, he might dethrone me, and I might have to answer to him. And I will have to submit to him. And he didn't know what to do with that, and it terrified him. He was afraid that he would now have to be humble that he would now have to give up his throne and give up his the control on his uh, give up his own control of himself and of the kingdom around him he didn't want to give up his kingdom it's it's interesting though that if you look at, even in uh, Luke chapter 1 uh, Mary prophesied and says uh, about about God he says he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly he has a little bit of reasoning a good reason to actually have that fear that he could get knocked off his throne. But you see, this mission Jesus was on at his first coming had nothing to do with taking his place on the throne. That's coming later and still has yet to come for us. This mission was about seeking and to save those who were lost. But the reality of it is, is when you find Christ and you submit yourself to Christ and allow him to be king, you give up your power. So even in this, in this time of Christ coming to earth in this way, Herod was right. He would have to give up his power to another king. If he was going to submit himself and worship Christ, it would mean him bowing his knee when he's used to having others bow their knee to him. You see, like I said, we can all relate to Herod a little too much at times. And we don't want to admit it, but none of us want to give up the power that we have in our lives. Let's be honest. We, we, we don't want to submit to somebody else or to something else. We want to be the ones that have the final say. We want to be the ones that, that, that determine every action we take and everything that we do. But can I tell you today, the Bible says that we were bought with a price. It wasn't rubies, it wasn't diamonds, it wasn't cash, it wasn't cryptocurrency, it wasn't any of those crazy NFTs or whatever they got going on these days. It was the blood of Jesus. We do not belong to ourselves. If he is the king of your life, you see, we have no problem accepting him as savior. Oh, he'll forgive me of my sins, that is great. I don't have to be punished for my sins? Oh, that is awesome. Like, like this, this whole idea of, of, of him just as the Savior, but you can't have him as the Savior without also having him as the King and the Lord. Those two go together. We spend so much time talking about Jesus as Savior that we miss out on him as Jesus as King. It's great to be saved and forgiven, but when all of a sudden we got to start giving up the things that we hold so dearly to ourselves... When we have to start submitting ourselves to another king other than ourselves, we don't like that. But to accept Christ as king is to submit yourself to him. It means you get off the throne and you put him on it. You no longer are the one in charge. That's a hard truth to accept. Herod certainly couldn't accept it. See, we don't want to ever say that we're like Herod because of what Herod did. He massacred 
thousands and thousands and thousands of innocent children to protect his throne. So we, we say we're, we're not the same as him. And maybe you're not shedding blood of innocent children, but you are certainly wasting the blood of Christ and missing out on the fullness of its power in your life. You see, it was a threat to his power. It was also a threat to his way of life. You see, as being a king, you have all the money, you have all the food you can want, you snap your fingers, people bring you whatever you desire. People, when you speak, people listen. You're somebody important. You, you have whatever you want in the palm of your hand. You have all of the comforts. You're living in a guarded fortress palace where you're very well protected. Not a worry in the world. It doesn't matter what the economy's doing because you have all the money you could ever want. It doesn't matter uh, what people's attitudes are and all that because you're the one in charge. You're so separated from the reality of life because you're so coddled in this comfort as this king was. No wonder he didn't want to give it up. Sure, having being king had some stress to it, but when you have as much power as he had, where you can order thousands, millions to be murdered, and people do it, that's, that's a lot of power. That, to me, that says, well, he really didn't have a whole lot to worry about because whatever he said happened. No wonder he didn't want to submit to Christ because if he gave up the throne, he also gave up his way of life. Those comforts, those things he had gotten so accustomed to, that way of life he'd become so accustomed to, it would all be gone. But it's interesting to me that he had all of these comforts but was still haunted by insecurity. You see, you'd think someone in his position with all the food and money and, and uh, influence and power that he had would, would feel very secure. He may have been comfortable in his way of life, but he was obviously very insecure. Otherwise, he would not have been threatened by the birth of Jesus. You see, it's funny how all of those worldly things, the food, the money, the, the, the power, the position, the title, that people did whatever you wanted them to do, all of those things. It's funny how he had all of that and was still so threatened by the birth of a baby. It's interesting to me. And it's proof that you will never have enough success and you will never have enough power, enough money, enough food to ever be truly secure and satisfied in your life. Because the only true security comes from that little baby that was born at this time. You cannot have any real security outside of Christ. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25 says this, 
Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself or his soul? You see, we get so attached to our way of life. We get so attached to our comforts, to those things we love and and feel like we might have a little bit of security in. But when Jesus shows up, all of a sudden, you don't feel so secure anymore. And what I mean by that is you are actually entering into more security, but because you have gotten so attached and so comfortable in this worldly security, it now feels unstable. And Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 9, listen, if you try to hang on to that life, if you try to cling to those things, you're going to end up losing it. You'll lose your life pursuing those things. But if you deny yourself and follow me, you're going to find life. That's where the real life lies. If you lose those things and walk away from those things and deny yourself and follow Christ, you will find life. But so often, like Herod did, he was doing everything in his power to preserve his life as he knew it. I have never followed Jesus anywhere in my life where it didn't cost me something. Never. I've never been obedient to God and followed him to some place he was leading me where he didn't have me give something up that I was so comfortable with. Ever. But the reality is, is in that, because of my obedience, I found more security through the obedience but we, mi- we mix up comfort with security. We think because we're comfortable, we're secure. But in reality, at any moment, the things that we have been so trusting in and relying on so heavily can be pulled out right from under our feet and all of a sudden be gone in a moment. And we no longer have those things that we trusted in and that we thought were secure to us. There are people every day that lose everything in a moment. In a fire, in an accident, a stock market crash, a medical diagnosis, they feel like they've lost it all. And they had gotten so trusting and so comfortable in those things that they thought that's what made them secure. But there is only one who brings us true security in this life. It may not be the comfort you desire, but it will be the security that you need. And his name is Jesus. You see, it would have been interesting to maybe see what would have happened if Herod would have bowed his knee to Jesus. What could have been. Which brings me to the final thing that he was threatened by, or found Jesus to be a threat to, rather, and that was his purpose. You see, I don't think Herod would have known what to have what to do with himself if he couldn't be the king, if he couldn't be the boss man in charge. I think he would have felt really lost. Like his entire existence was wrapped up in what he thought was his purpose. 
He got so wrapped up in his position and made it who he was that if that was taken away, he, he wouldn't have known what to do with himself. But I, but I wonder, what could have been if he would have bowed himself at the feet of Jesus? You see, we, we view purpose and success very differently than God does. We, we view success as a stage, a spotlight, influence, money, followers, all of these. That we view success, we, we look at people, they, they got 27 million people that follow them and love them and will post comments on Facebook telling them how great they are. They got all the money, they got the fancy cars, they got all this stuff. We say, man, that person must really be walking in their purpose. Sometimes I wonder if they're really just walking in deep deception. I, I, I'm not saying that they're not walking in their purpose because I don't know God's plan for their life. I don't know God's plan for your life. He doesn't tell me those things. That's for you to sort out with him. But what I can tell you is we view purpose different than what God does. And this was something I found a lot of times to be true uh, amongst uh, the younger generation during my youth pastoring days, which really weren't that long ago, is they are, the biggest struggle they had was figuring out their purpose in their life. What is my purpose here? Why am I on this earth? And, and if they weren't pursuing something that brought them a spotlight, that made them a, a social media uh, uh, a celebrity or whatever, then they felt like they weren't really living in a purpose. But what I've learned is when you read the Bible, you see the opposite of celebrity and, and favoritism and things of that nature. Although, you know, there are people like Solomon who were greatly blessed with riches and all of those things. But I look at people like Paul who walked in his purpose and spent a lot of time in a prison cell. He was shipwrecked. People wanted him dead. Tried to kill him plenty of times. I look at people who, I look at the apostles who, who were martyred. They were boiled in oil. They were crucified upside down. If you look through the early church history, how many uh, believers who were walking in their purpose found themselves martyred and murdered for following Christ? You look at the, the we don't, we are oblivious to it today, but you look at the underground churches in, in other countries that, that they go to prison if they're caught with a piece of paper with a scripture written on it. That still exists today. We're blind to it because we have all the access in the world. Uh, Mackenzie just ordered a couple Bibles on a deal for her, and it made me think a minute. I'm like, wow, we can just get online and order it and have it in a few days Whereas other countries, they're scrapping together little pieces of paper that somebody handwritten and passed through a secret uh, system of communication to where they could get one verse. Whereas I can pull out my phone and get the whole book. We, but we've, and, and I tell you, those people are walking in their purpose. They're going to prison but we don't think we're walking in our purpose unless we're in a palace. Herod couldn't give up his palace. What if God had a different purpose? Or what if maybe if he would have just humbled himself to God? 
You see, we view success as rich and fame and all that stuff. God views greatness and success as faithfulness and obedience. He will look at us someday and either say, well done, good and faithful servant, or away from me for I never knew you. Walking in your purpose isn't about glory and fame. It's about faithfulness and obedience to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What? And, and just let, let's think about this for just a minute. What if? I like to ask a lot of what if questions. What if Herod would have submitted himself to God? What kind of king could he have been? Let's say it was God's purpose for him to be king. For sure. What what could have been in that in that area, that nation, that that region of the world, if he would have been a God fearing king? But he was so wrapped up in himself and protecting his throne that he missed out on all of that. The question we really need to ask ourselves when it comes to purpose is if nobody knows your name. Actually, if God is the only one who knows your name, would that be enough for you? For Herod, it wasn't. And we really got to ask ourselves that question. Today, Herod was threatened in three areas. I'm getting ready to wrap this up. He was threatened in his area of power. He was threatened in his way of life, and he was threatened in his purpose. See, those are all things we battle with when you walk with Christ, we're not so different from Herod. Herod took things to the extreme. History actually records that uh, uh, after he not just killed countless children to protect his throne, but uh, there's actually some reports in history that he even had his own kids killed so that they couldn't take his throne from him. He was that obsessed. How desperate are we to protect our throne? How desperate are we to maintain power? Or are we willing to humble ourselves? And see, Herod wasn't even going to have to bow to another king and another throne. He, he would have found himself at a manger in a humble barn. That would have been humiliating for him. But you see, we're not so different. We have a hard time humbling ourselves at the foot of Jesus. We have, a, we have a hard time kneeling down before him and saying, Lord, you be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You, your, your power, not mine. Your way of life for me. Your plan for my life, not mine. We, we have a hard time uh, uh, looking at him and say, your purpose, not mine. You see, we battle with these areas. But today... God is asking us to surrender those areas. It's not about what we want and what we want to pursue. Because if I could be honest with you, if I was picking my own path for my life, I'd definitely be miserable. And I definitely wouldn't be standing in a pulpit today. If I was going to follow my own plan and I was going to be the one on the throne of my life, I'd probably be living on a mountain in the middle of the wilderness away from all of humanity. Fishing, hunting, every day. 
And that sounds pretty good sometimes. I may not be the only one that enjoys those things either. But if I were to live that life, it'd be a life of loneliness, depression. It'd be a life that lacks power. It'd be a life that lacks purpose. Because I know that when I bowed my foot at the feet of Jesus, he called me to something totally different. And I have no regrets whatsoever following him. Yes, it's cost me. Yes, it's been hard. Yes, it's been difficult. And if you've been serving God any amount of time in your life, I'm sure you can agree with me and say that you've had those moments as well where it's been costly, it's been difficult, it's been a struggle, but it's also been extremely rewarding. And I wouldn't change it or trade it for anything. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?